the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Let me discuss Spartacus. I am Spartacus, said the New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Corey, of course, we all know is uh, a truth seeker, you know, in every witch hunt. He's the one going, I know the truth and let's go seek her out. Um, He is a man, despite having admitted to sexual harassment himself, is signaling virtue at every step of the process. I am here to watch over for you, you little cretin people that I want you to vote for me. Booker has been uh, excellent at uh, diving to new lows throughout this process. I think he, well, the Russian judge even gave him a 10 on his dive. His ability to debase democracy and human decency is amazing. He seems, now maybe I'm overstating it, incapable of shame. His latest show of arrogance, Booker admitted that he does not care whether or not Kavanaugh is guilty. He doesn't see that as the point. Here it is. So my hope is that beyond the vicious partisan rancor that is going on, beyond the accusations, we don't lose sight of what this moral moment is about in this country. And ultimately ask ourselves the question, is this the right person to sit on the highest court in the land for a lifetime appointment when their credibility has been challenged by intimates, people that knew the candidate well as a classmate, when his temperament has been revealed in an emotional moment Mm. where he used language that that frankly shocked a lot of us. And then ultimately, not whether he's innocent or guilty, this is not a trial, but ultimately, has enough questions Ah. be raised that we should not move on to another candidate. And that long list put together by the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society, move on to another candidate because ultimately the Supreme Court is not an entitlement. Just because you went to Yale or were president of your class doesn't entitle you to the Supreme Court. Hmm. This is a sacred institution. And people that should be on it, whether you disagree with their political... So Booker, what he's saying here is... Quote, ultimately, it is not about whether he is innocent or guilty. This is not a trial. So wait a minute. Then why did we go through this process if it doesn't matter? The next line is a riot. The people who are on the Supreme Court should preserve the integrity of the court and be beyond reproach of these difficult partisan times. But those of us in the Congress and Senate, I'm Spartacus Party! Wow. Does this guy realize that his poisonous and calculated antics have largely inflamed the integrity of the court, the integrity of the process, that his outlandish behavior is beyond reproach and, and unique in American history? That his divisive tactics have made these difficult partisan times more difficult and more partisan? No. No. I really don't think he knows. I really don't. Because he is certain. He is certain that he is correct. 100% without a doubt he sleeps well because he knows the truth. That is the sickness in our society. 
certainty. Because when you're certain, if you disagree with me, I, you have nothing to teach me. You're just a rube or worse. You're dangerous and need to be stopped. Hello, China. Here we come. Booker serves as a perfect representation of the left's approach on this. You badger Kavanaugh for literally hours, days, weeks on end. You prod, you antagonize, you harass him, you destroy his career. You do everything under the sun except waterboard him. And the moment he reacts and says, enough is enough, you then say, oh my gosh, look at that. We're right all along. This is classic victim shaming and blaming. This instills confirmation bias. They are not interested in the truth. They do not care about reality. All they understand is orange man, bad. It's going to backfire on them. But I will tell you what's happening in Washington right now with the Democratic Party is far scarier than any dystopia they pretend to foresee. It's Thursday, October 4th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the book Addicted to Outrage today, if you have read it or listened to it on audiobook. Uh, I want to talk to you about it. We're going to we're going to do this again next week. We were going to dedicate the show to this today, but uh, we have Malcolm Gladwell, and I just don't want to cheat him on time, and I don't want to cheat the the book on time either because there's a lot in there we have to discuss. So Malcolm Gladwell is joining us next hour. We will take your phone calls if you've read the book. If you have, and you have um, you know something that you disagree with or. You know, you you found really, really interesting or you want clarification on you can call uh, 888-727-BECK if you make it on the air today or we're going to take some of these calls next week as well. Um, you will get a signed autographed uh, copy of the book or of the um, audio, whichever you prefer. Would you uh, say there's a pretty direct tie between the stuff you talk about in the book and what we're seeing over the past few days off of the Kavanaugh thing? Are you... Are you, are you, I hope you have recognized this and seen this. Mm-hmm. This vindicates the book 110%. What's happened, because as I've said, since, since the trial or the hearing last week, the Republicans are playing this perfectly. I have not seen the Republican Party ever behave in a way that I thought, 10 from the American judge, 10 from me. And this fits exactly to my point in Addicted to Outrage. People think that, uh, and this is why it's taken the book to uh, be able to, it's taken me a year. And I wrote wrote the book once, and then I rewrote it a second time because it wasn't right, because I learned so much as I was writing it. And the, um, the point of the book, people look and say, that's a surrender. You want us to surrender? No, I don't. I don't. I want you to change your approach because that's the path to winning. Now, let me show you in the book. You will see it without Kavanaugh. I wish Kavanaugh had happened before the book because I would have used this as the case. First, lock yourself onto the truth, but be open enough for new information. So 
You don't just stay blind. If there is new information, you have to take that into consideration, right? But you don't surrender what you know to be true. So now let's watch what what happened with Kavanaugh. For the first time, a president, this time it's it's, uh, Donald Trump, took one of the bravest positions I think I've seen a president do. This was, I think, this was worse than Clarence Thomas because we are in the Me Too society where you just go along with it. You don't chain, you don't defend. You're just, everybody just blindly goes, oh my gosh, yes, he did it. He's a pariah. So the stakes are higher than they were in 1991 and also that the society has changed. Remember, we were still tolerating, you know, monkey business and sexual harassment and everything else that wasn't what it is now the hierarchy has changed the power structures have changed now you must blindly believe the woman and you've seen people i mean look at the hits we took on bill o'reilly because i said bill o'reilly i'm sorry i won't take it on somebody else's um uh word I've worked with him. We've seen him in social situations. It may be true. I've talked to him personally. I, I've heard his explanation. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, my gosh. The world ended when I did that. Okay. I lost friends over that. Okay. Well, whatever. So you do not surrender. But as I said with Bill O'Reilly, if I find new information and Bill O'Reilly Actually, is that dude? I'm going to be the first to torch him. Okay, and I've heard you say that to his face, yes, or, or on the phone. Yeah, you know, you've said it to him. Yeah, but look, if 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 this turns out to be something that I I cannot be associated with, I'm going to torch you, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, he was he was fine with that, <laughs> right? And so, what did the Republicans do? First, they stood with Kavanaugh because they believed he had a right to answer these charges, but they didn't mock her. They did say this is a sham because look at the facts. If they would have if she would have um, appeared during the hearings and you said, well, this is a sham because look how it appeared. No, 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 no. There's still time. But because it came out in the 11th hour, there were facts that led the Republicans to say, and I think any human to say, "Okay, wait a minute. Uh, I'm going to slow down on this. But. What did we do? The Republicans then said, let's hear her. They were gracious to her. They said, we'll come see you. What happened? The Democrats lied. The Democrats threw uh, flaming uh, uh, insults to anyone who said that the Republicans had invited her. And she said, no, you are a monster. The Republicans did not respond in kind. Then they sat down and they listened to her. Did you see the way that she was treated in the line of questioning? Nobody rolled their eyes on the right. Nobody mocked her while she was there. Everyone was deferential. Everyone was kind to her. Everyone wanted her to feel comfortable to speak in case she had something actual to present. Most Republicans went into watching those hearings with an open mind. I listened to her 
And I thought, okay, she has some credibility here. Now, as time has gone on, that has gotten less and less as more facts have come out. But I wanted to hear Kavanaugh. If Kavanaugh didn't have a strong response, I would have probably been and said, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think Kavanaugh is, I don't know. I was at least willing to consider that point. Kavanaugh spoke. I said, I believe Kavanaugh. Out of the two of them, I believe. Then it came to the FBI. They said, well, look, it's just, I mean, you can't give us seven days. Just give us seven days. Okay, I'm not for it because I know what the Republic or the Democrats are actually doing, which they did. But okay, Jeff Flake said seven days, so we gave him seven days. It's still not good enough for them. But nowhere has the Republican Party up until, and this is debatable, up until uh, Donald Trump mocked her the other night. And I don't think he did. He mocked the process. He mocked her evidence. He didn't mock her. He mocked the evidence. The evidence is mockable. The, re- the Democrats are mockable. But you'll notice no one in the Republican Party has, has taken her apart, called her names, or anything else. What they did do is they sided with righteous indignation. If they continue to stand with righteous indignation based on evidence and facts, what's happening? You're seeing a shift in the polls. You're seeing people start to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're starting to see people back the Republican Party. You're seeing people start to back this entire process as being a sham because we allowed the people to come up with that. We allowed the people. We just said, let's look for facts and the facts will speak for themselves. But you will you will not be able to do that if you're punching back while you're looking for facts. Now, this has never worked before. That's what people will say. Glenn, that doesn't work. We always play the nice guy. No, we don't. We always play the nice guy and cave. I am not suggesting that we cave. I'm suggesting you stand immovable in that storm unless facts change. If they change, you move. If the facts remain where the facts are, you don't move. You just don't punch people in the face. You don't become them. I do not want to be Cory Booker. I do not want to be somebody. You know, Jonah Goldberg pointed out in a, an essay he wrote yesterday that I thought was really good. The press keeps asking the Democratic senators, well, seven days, the FBI did this. Will this be enough? Will this be enough for what? For them to still vote no? They, they didn't have any intention of changing their mind. The Republicans actually went into it saying it better be good evidence or people might change their mind. I talked to senators who are not on the list of changing their mind that were thinking I might change my mind. I have to I have to think about this early on. I want to see what the FBI. Now, they haven't said any of that out loud. I've talked to them. We were open. Democrats were not. Americans are. 
That is the point of the book. This shows you how to fight. We can win if we are kind, open-minded, we listen to others, but we don't give in when the facts are on our side. That's how to win. That's, I'm sorry to say it, that's what the Enlightenment was all about. Oh my gosh. That's why postmodernism is taking over, because we are abandoning the Enlightenment. Postmodernism is designed to collapse everything in the Enlightenment. Reason, facts. Stay with reason, stay with facts, and be immovable and win. All right, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Filter by Filter, B-U-Y dot com. If you are like me, I don't know when I'm supposed to change the filter. I have no idea. I am the worst husband in the world. Yeah, Imagine I was talking when, to Tanya about that a couple weeks ago, and she was saying minute. that they, Hold it just oh, a second. But I was unrelated to filters. Was that, it was totally unrelated to filters. Was that pillow filters. talk you were admitting to here? I'm, I'm wondering. Um, so I, do, do you know when to change the filter? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, when uh, when someone's there working on the air conditioner, when it's broken down, right. and I say, hey, uh, what's going on? They said, you haven't changed your filter in six years. Right. Uh, that's, that's why exactly. the air conditioning broke down. I have had actually a guy said, <laughs> when was the last time you changed the filter? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I noticed. Uh, so we're all very much alike on that one. Both terrible husbands. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. Okay, so filter by can help you with that. You go to filterbybuy.com, and uh, they're all made in America. They have all the different sizes. Even they'll custom make it for you and send it to you in 24 hours. What you, what I really like is you'll actually get a discount if you just say, okay, it says here in the manual I'm supposed to change it every six or eight months. Can you send it to me every six or eight months? And they're like, yeah. And so then it just shows up. And so then when it's there, your wife can leave it by the door for a few days, and then finally she'll bring it in and change the filter. Okay, I'm just saying, filter by saves you time, saves you uh, money, you breathe better, and um, and your wife, you know, does it for you. So it's filter by. <laughs> I don't think that's part of their <laughs> Fil- pro- process. Filterbuy.com. That's filterby.com. All right, if we're going to take Cory Booker at his word, uh, then we would have to say that Cory Booker would definitely be against Barack Obama being president of the United States. <laughs> Newly released audio of Barack Obama, 2001. Listen to this. I think I was a thug, <laughs> for, uh, thug. for a big part of my uh, growing up. I, 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 was, uh, I think I was a very typical... Uh, uh, gregarious, uh, mischievous child as a as a young boy. I uh, didn't take school that seriously. I uh, got into fights. Not into fights. I uh, hopefully not involved. Drank, knife. And, drank. Did, uh, and 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 consumed uh, substances that uh, what? <laughs> weren't always legal. Yeah, I might. What, what now? Uh, Huh. Drank a six pack uh, in an hour before uh, uh, before going back to class. Before going to class, a six pack in an hour. In an hour. In an hour. So Corey, now that we know that, 
would you like to tell us how bad that president was? Just just based knowing, you know, what he was like when he was a kid and his temperament. He was a thug. He got into fights. I don't know if it involved ice, however. Let's go to Brian in Colorado. Hello, Brian. How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Yeah, so quick question, just kind of going off of your book. Now with the whole Kavanaugh thing going on, all the attention seems to have turned away from Trump because there's no outrage there. All the outrage is with Kavanaugh. I'm just kind of wondering how you see the interplay between that. Um, Because Kavanaugh is an easier target because Donald Trump has not responded in the fashion that they probably expected him to respond. And the reason why uh, I would imagine is because, you know, he doesn't have a, you know, a good record on speaking about, you know, moral issues. And so somebody has said, hush up. And he has that has that has given him real power because all that Trump is uh, is involved on this is. Is he going to keep standing? And because he has a spine. Yeah, he's standing. And that's what the president needs to do at this point. And it is also allowed for the very first time. It's given a spine to the Republicans. So they had to go after Kavanaugh. What, what else are they going to do? He's the he's the target. But Kavanaugh also has remained cool um, until it was really appropriate. Had he come out and made crazy, you know, angry statements prior to? No. But his his timing of being angry is not a sign that he has a reckless temperament. It was appropriate for the time. If you are a thinking human being and you you are looking at things for you're looking at the fact level, you completely connected with Kavanaugh's opening statement where he said, this is ridiculous. You have destroyed me. You've destroyed my family. He made a statement that was full of facts, refuting the things that she had said. It was totally appropriate. What's the result? The result is, I think Kavanaugh is going to uh, win the uh, nomination. If he doesn't, it will be be because a Republican or maybe a couple of Republicans lose their spine because there is there are no facts on this. So they lose their spine. If they do it, they will be the losers in this. Does that help you, Brian? Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. It's just kind of finding the weak target as opposed to the strong one. And because that's what they do is they exploit the weak. And um, yeah, so I appreciate that. Um, do you want it? Uh, I'm going to send you a book for getting on the air. Or just, if you get on the air, we're going to start sending you books. Did you want the book or the audio? Yeah, the book, please. The I would book. love it. Okay. And uh, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N. B-R-I-A-N. Okay. Glad I asked. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. It's in the mail. Uh, let me go to uh, liar. It's still sitting right in front of him, Brian. Don't believe it. It's not in the mail yet. What a liar. Let me go to uh, let me go to Phyllis. Hello, Phyllis. Good morning, Glenn. How Hi. are you? I'm very good. The reason for my call is I wanted to tell you a couple of things. I appreciate you taking my call, mm-hmm. and uh, I've learned a lot from you over all these years. 
So I thank you for that. You're welcome. Sounds I was like... a victim of sexual child abuse. Uh, my father was a pedophile, and I suffered for many, many years until I put an end to it. And unfortunately, Glenn, no one believed me. No one. So, you know, I just kind of felt uh, I have to deal with this. I have to get over it. It's, it's not easy to do that, but I knew that blaming my, you know, what happened was not going to get me anywhere in life. So I understand in a way why no one, you know, talked up in those days, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It was not, it but, was, it was, it was not, we weren't, we didn't think people were like that and we didn't want to look at it if it was. It's horrible that we've made good progress on that. Yes, we have. However, we've swung from one end all the way to the other with no middle ground. So what I'm upset about is that everyone believes this, this doctor, okay, just on her ter- uh, testimony, which wasn't even, you know, significant. And uh, they're, they, they just believe it because of the hell they went through. And to me, I don't understand why they don't listen to the facts. And this is one of the things that's so disturbing about this. Obviously, the Me Too concept is really, really important and yeah, really and, and, important. and important. Like it really is, it could make a real difference. And instead, what it's turning into is here's a tool for Democrats to use to destroy people's lives, which is an awful outcome. Or what a great outcome would be out of this, in my opinion, is that going forward, uh, people like Phyllis would would be believed would at least be taken seriously. Yeah, not believed, and, taken seriously. Well, believed if they have the evidence, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But taken seriously and, 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 and would not fear coming out because if you had uh, evidence and you had a, a real story to tell, it would be believed. Correct. And that's, that's, that is the outcome that I think rational Americans are looking for. Mm-hmm. They want this to end. They think this is horrible, but they don't want to go the other way this has become um a vendetta you know phyllis as you said you knew that the anger wasn't going to get you anywhere in life so you had to deal with it if you deal with the the situation um you have a chance to grow it is much better if the person who has done it to you has um has you know reaped its uh consequences uh, or has has you know admitted it at least or something it's hard when people don't apologize or don't admit it and they just get away with it, it is really really hard but that's sometimes what happens but by by moving on with your life you're not trying to convict every man and that's what's happening right now there are these women who have suffered this and have not healed and so they want everybody to be believed because no one would believe theirs. And so they don't they don't you know, they don't know if it's true or not, but nobody believed me. And this woman's going to be railroaded. Well, no, your situation is not their situation. And we have to base it on facts. Phyllis, thanks for your call. AJ in Oregon. Hello, AJ. You're on the Glenbeck program. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Sue. I'm a uh, recovering addict of outrage. <laughs> okay. So uh, what I wanted to call and talk about is I've been listening to the audio book. It's great. And I kind of, my wife and I kind of had like pivot points. And, and, I, and it really hit me when I was listening yesterday is the social media outrage is what's driving this country more than anything. Like you say in the book, you know, 
Tommy 36, Becky, right. whatever. Right. Is, and, and it's got to the point where we've just, our life is so much happier by not engaging with politics online. Yeah. And part of that social media mob, it's, it's, it got to the point where my wife and I just were like looking at each other. Oh my gosh, I can't handle this. And I, I even took on more volunteer opportunities to help with youth basketball, different things like that. And I feel so fulfilled now. You get, did you give up social media or did you, did you just cut down on it? I cut down on the, uh, outrage, the absolute engaging with some family members that Mm -hmm. were progressive where you could, you couldn't even talk to them. It was like beating Mm -hmm. your head against a brick wall. Mm -hmm. It was so frustrating. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't even, when we go to family dinners, we don't even talk about politics, and we're all, you know, a lot of us are constitutional conservatives, but we don't even talk about it because it's so bad right now. It, it, it's, it, it's what's it, I, this book is perfect. It's perfectly titled. It's perfect for, I think everybody should be reading it. Thanks a lot, AJ. I appreciate it. I'm going to send you a copy of the book. Uh, do you want the book since you were Thanks, listening guys. to it? Yes. Autograph to yes, you. Yes, absolutely. I'd like a, uh, a hard copy, and God bless you, you guys. You got it. Thank you very much. It is, uh, you know, the the next step is once you have once you have calmly done this and you have backed up, the next step is to reengage with your relatives, but on bigger principles. Don't talk to them about Kavanaugh because they'll immediately go to the talking points. Don't talk to them about that. Talk to them about the bigger issues. Everything that we need our unum is the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. E pluribus unum. I've spent a lot of time thinking, okay, so what what brings us together? What is the uniting thing? What can we all agree on? Well, not all of us, but a grand majority of us should be able to agree on all men are created equal, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the, the, the Ten Amendments to the Constitution. Okay, let's start there. That's what brought people here. And that's what's being lost in the conversation. We're arguing over parties and personalities. That's not what Kavanaugh is really about. It's not about did he do it or did he not do it? Is she lying? Is she telling the truth? It is about are you innocent until proven guilty? Do we presume innocence? Do we look for facts? Is there a system in society outside of the legal standards where did the legal standards come from the legal standards came from a group of people our founders and prior to that here in america they came here and said you know what i can just be taken off the streets i can be destroyed if somebody just says hey i'm 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 the king or i'm a i'm a lord or i'm a duke and this person did that they're believed and i'm not no matter what the evidence is that's not right i don't want that those are the big principles And those are the things that we need to slowly start to re-engage our loved ones with, because that's where you find unity. And so much of the media coverage right now is just trying to give a justification to someone for destroying Kavanaugh's life. It's like, hey, well, we think that there's a chance of this because of this. Have you seen Ronan Farrow lighting his credibility on fire over the past couple of weeks on this story? Yeah. 
he, first they came out and said, oh, well, none of the other New York Times, none of the other major sources would run the story about the woman who said that Brett Kavanaugh exposed himself at the party. And then Ronan Farrow, who has built up all this credibility with real reporting on things like Harvey Weinstein, uh, comes out and people take it seriously because it's him. When you read the story, you find out about two thirds of the way through that they couldn't find anybody, anybody who had any recollection of this. And in fact, the woman who even brought it forward said she couldn't remember who it was. She couldn't remember it was Brett Kavanaugh. She just remembered it a couple weeks ago that it was Brett Kavanaugh. How on earth would it? No one would print that. And no one did. Right now that's in lumped into your multiple accusations. They followed up on it. In one of the most amazing stories I've ever seen, they said, Ronan Farrow, again, uh, comes out and says, we found a, a witness to this story, to the uh, exposing himself to the college party. When you read the story, what you find out is uh, it was all hearsay. They don't have anyone who was there. It was people who said they heard about it at the time. So this one person comes and says, I have a witness. I know this person. They, they'll know about it at the time. Listen to this quote from the story. This is incredible. The, the, the person who was in the story says he initially asked to remain anonymous because he hoped to make contact first with a classmate who, to the best of his recollection, told him about the party and was an eyewitness to the incident. So the source of this person coming to the New Yorker, he, I want to talk to that person and confirm it. He said that he had not been able to get any response from that person despite multiple attempts to do so. Okay. Really shady. Why would you put that in? Mm-hmm. Listen to this next sentence. Remember, this article was printed. The New Yorker did reach the classmate. And he said he had no memory of the incident. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the, the guy, they are so desperate to get this guy off the Supreme Court that they will do anything. Ronan Farrow is, bur- is lighting his career on so, fire right now to here, try to stop this. Here is the best thing Donald Trump has done during this whole thing. He has allowed the press, without mucking it up, Generally speaking, he's been pretty good. Yes, yeah. without without tweeting stuff and and becoming the story himself, he has allowed the press to prove everything that he says about the press is true. That is the way to fight. This is the way, and it's outlined in Addicted to Outrage. Doesn't mean surrender. It means change the way you're fighting and don't surrender unless the facts change car shield if you've taken your car in and uh uh and all of a sudden you're like oh wait how much is that can you not do that to the car can you just can you just undo everything you just did because i don't have the money uh you know you have a sensor that goes off and it's you know, uh, by the way, I think all cars, I think it should be free. Have you ever brought your car in and the sensor light is faulty? So you bring it in and it's showing you take your car in for repair, but it's the sensor that's faulty. So your car doesn't need to be repaired. The sensor life that tells you it's faulty is faulty. <laughs> I think the car company should replace that one for free. That should just that's be their fault. That one's on us. Mm-hmm. That one's on us. <laughs> anyway, sensors can cost like a thousand dollars. Not to you if you have Car Shield. You don't have to worry about those surprises. I want you to visit carshield.com and find all find out all about this. Uh, if your car has, you know, 500 or 1,500 miles on it to 150,000 miles, it doesn't matter. You, when your warranty runs out, you still need protection. 
because it's too expensive now. So take this off your plate. Don't worry about it when that sensor goes off. Visit carshield.com or call 800-CAR-6100. 800-CAR-6100. Use the promo code BECK and save right now 10%. Carshield.com. Promo code BECK. Deductibles may apply. You know, this opioid bill uh, in Congress yesterday, the Senate passed it. 98 to 1, Mike Lee was the one that voted against, which makes me wonder what the hell is in it. Um, I, uh, I am, I'm really bothered by this opioid uh, stuff in, in government. Opioids are not the problem. Okay? Drugs were not the problem. Alcohol during Prohibition, not the problem. That's not the problem. That's not the way you deal with it. Opioids have given people relief and many people reason to live. That's not the problem. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. Glenn Beck. The FBI investigation into Brett Kavanaugh has now been completed. It was delivered to Grassley at 3 a.m. And all of the senators, both left and right, are going to be able to read it this morning. Now, this marks the seventh time the FBI has looked into this Supreme Court nominee. Seven FBI investigations. Imagine the information the FBI must have on Kavanaugh. I mean, it's still not as much as Google, but imagine. I mean, he's got to have his own floor in the J. Edgar Hoover building. So what do we know? Well, the question now is, will any of those secrets include any corroboration at all to Dr. Ford's accusation? Senate Judiciary uh, Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley tweeted three o'clock this morning. He has the papers. Republicans and Democrats are going to have equal time to study it. If everything goes as expected, we should see the vote tomorrow, a procedural vote tomorrow, followed by a final vote on Saturday. After that, I guess we can, you know, crack open a beer and drink too much or not drink too much and take a collective sigh of relief that this national nightmare is finally over. But will it be? Washington, D.C. is a nightmare. The best thing to come out of this is Donald Trump's silence while remaining completely rigid on letting this happen. Let it go through. Don't give up. And then remaining silent because for the first time in, well, since he was running, He's not the story. What's the story? How insane everyone else has become. His silence has allowed the press to prove absolutely everything he has said about the press to be true. Capitol Police have arrested dozens of out-of-control leftists. Additional officers have been called in to maintain order in the Senate office buildings. Protesters are screaming. They're yelling. They're blocking senators as they walk in the hall. Senator Susan Collins has, has been seen escorted now with a full-on security detail. Republicans are getting harassed at restaurants and their homes. 
While the Democrats are encouraging this, they are also saying that the temperament of Kavanaugh is so bad because when he was young, he threw a glass of ice in somebody's face. This is insane. Let's flip this around. Imagine how the left and the media would be freaking out right now if the shoe was on the other foot. If President Obama had been accused of something and the Tea Party began acting the same way the Kavanaugh protesters are, imagine, imagine if the Tea Party would have been screaming at Democratic senators, cornering them in the halls and the elevators, getting arrested by Capitol Police, following them to restaurants and their homes. What would the story from the press be today? I can tell you for a fact it would not be whatever Obama was accused of. It would be all about the violence, the vitriol, and how the Tea Party must be stopped because they're trying to tear down the republic. There would be calls to label the Tea Party a terrorist organization. And you know what? They might be right if that would have happened. But it's happening now. And nobody seems to notice. Imagine the media headlines on CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times. But everyone seems just to accept this now. Why? Because they are certain they are correct. And if you want to have a different opinion, you have to do whatever you have to do to stop that opinion from being furthered. From being explored, heard, listened to. America, hear me clearly. If this doesn't scare you yet, what will? This behavior on the left, whether it's Antifa or whatever's going down in D.C., is the new norm. There is my small hope that when Kavanaugh is passed... When he is accepted and put on the Supreme Court on Saturday, the left will learn, hmm, well, that didn't work. If he is not confirmed, they will learn this works and it will get much worse. There are no calls for the left to deescalate, at least on the left. Rand Paul's wife wrote an incredible op-ed for CNN, begging, begging the Democrats to retreat from this and de-escalate. They're out of control. What happens on Saturday after Kavanaugh is confirmed? What happens when the next big issue comes up? What happens? What happens if the Republicans hold the Senate and Ginsburg dies? What happens? Democrats aren't reeling these people in and condemning their actions like Maxine Waters. They are egging them on. And the media is, too. It is painfully obvious. Obvious They hold the violent left to a completely different set of standards than the, quote, violent right. I don't know who the violent right is, by the way. The Violent right, I guess they would say that's the National Socialist Party. But as anyone who actually has a thinking cap on, 
you know socialism is something the right is against. It's Thursday, October 4th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. David Barton is uh, here, and uh, David is a, a friend of mine who was for Donald Trump because he kept saying in my ear, Glenn, he is going to be really good on judges. And I kept saying, David, you're an idiot. He's not going to do any of that. <laughs> and you were exactly right, and I was wrong. Uh, welcome to the program, David. How hey, are Glenn. you? Good to be with you, bro. Uh, so your guess on Kavanaugh. Uh, it's going to go down. I, I think it'll happen. I think the ones that are sitting on the fence will go the right direction. The one that makes me the most nervous is Flake because he's retiring. Yeah. Uh, everybody else is going to face the voters and be accountable. But Flake has been his own guy since he was in the House. Yeah. So he, he's the biggest, biggest issue, biggest problem. But that would make you it 50-50 th- and then Pence goes for it. What did you think about Ben Sass's uh, comments yesterday? You know, Sass, I... It's like he's he's like Mike Lee, but he's a lot more vocal than Mike is. He, he's a lot like an adult in this thing that every once in a while gets you a reality check. Yeah. Uh, he, he goes off and has these great speeches every once in a while, like he's teaching a bunch of yeah. kindergarten kids. Yeah, yeah. And, well, he is. He is. That's right. He is. And, and I love him. I mean, I, I did not see that in him before he got there. And yeah. he's he's been an independent guy that has been an independent thinker. I really like him. He is positioned for, I think, 2024. Yeah. He's positioning himself in a really yeah. in a good place as being a reasoned likable mm-hmm. uh calm individual you a worried? thinking individual yeah he, he's you know he's he's very reasonable in the way he goes yeah. goes at stuff he, yeah. he teaches he's great so uh, david is uh david has written a new book with a, another friend of mine james garlow uh this precarious moment six urgent steps that will save you your family and our country and uh david it's great book and Everybody should everybody should read it again. It's a a book that is talking about the steps that you take right now. And what I love about this, David, is uh, let's just start on the millennial step. Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen this work. You know, it's kind of my book is uh, uh, I put it into action myself in my own life and I've seen it work. You've done the same thing, and you've seen this work with millennials. Talk about the millennials a bit. Millennials right now are one of the reasons we have a precarious or a dangerous moment because we have 242 years of being an American nation under the Declaration, 231 under the Constitution. No nation's ever survived that long. And so we just kind of think we'll always be here. And yet at the same time, you have 5,500 years of recorded history, and there's never been a socialist nation that's increased freedom or increased prosperity. And yet right now, 75% of students in college support socialism above all forms of government. We cannot survive if that becomes the belief when they become leaders. In uh, the same way, four out of five millennials believe there is no absolute moral truth. Man, if we can't agree that things like rape and murder are wrong, you've got no chance for having a nation in the future. you got 53% of millennials who believe that free speech should be limited, 19% who believe that violence is the right response to free speech you don't like. You, you can't survive as a nation. So that's why we call it a precarious moment. But when you look at millennials, they are really um, easy to change relationally. Hungry. They are hungry. If you if you create a relation, a one-on-one relationship, they really don't care about your age. They don't care about how you look. They, they care about whether you're sincere. And if you are sincere and say, and what we have found works so well is just asking questions because they really have had a load dumped on them by their professors and by the culture, and they've not thought it through. 
And when you start asking them questions and and, and not trying to win, that's right. Not trying to win. Just just think about I it. Just I just uh, that's an interesting thing. Let me ask you a question. How does whatever mm-hmm. fill in the blank? They start to engage and and they I find that they actually they actually um, begin to move toward you faster and not not just blindly accepting things, but because you're engaging them and asking them to think as long as you're not trying to win. That's right. Nobody does that. That's right. In college, they're being told what to think, join in, chant this. And and if you have any other thoughts, so when you challenge them, they actually like that. It's the first time anyone has done it. They they really do respond to thinking well. And once it gets going, they are killer with yeah, they thinking. Are killer. They are yeah. really. I'm sorry. That's an old school. Uh, old killer, school yeah. Idea. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Trigger warning. That's right. I, I can't Trigger say that. Trigger warning. Stations are, edit that out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they really are. And they're the most uh, of all groups in polling. For the hundred years we've been in polling, they're the most relational group in American history. What does that mean? They They respond more to relationships. For example, they're the only group in polling that wants to spend more time with their boss everybody else wants to spend time with employees or get away from the boss or whatever they want time they want to be mentored i mean they 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 have a desire to spend one-on-one time with people who can influence them and help them and thank them now that's not necessarily their motivation but what is interesting is they respond really really well to that and so when you create a relationship that is a genuine as you said not trying to win just a genuine relationship you can make so much progress in turning them in a different direction. And we've seen it ourselves. More with David Barton here in a second. This precarious moment is the name of his uh, book, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country, uh, uh, by uh, James Garlow and David Barton. You can grab it wherever books are sold. We'll continue here in just a second. Um, First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It is Goldline. All right, let me ask you, and David, I'd love for you to chime in on this. Do you think that it is um, reasonable that the Democrats win the House? Reasonable. Possible. Okay, possible. I don't think reasonable. I think possible. Okay, possible. That's good. Um, If they win, do you think it's reasonable that they will impeach the president? I think it's very likely they will make an attempt. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm not not convict, just impeach. The Senate's not going to convict, but they will make an attempt. Is it reasonable to believe that they will demand testimony or the president's tax records? Reasonable. It's not reasonable. It is absolutely certain. Okay, certain. Is it reasonable if they do that, the White House will say no? Absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. If they do that, it will go to the Supreme Court is it reasonable to believe that they would then challenge Kavanaugh because of what he has written or because of his testimony? He is hostile, so he needs to be removed, and that will put two branches of the federal government into disarray. Is that's that, certain. That's certain. It's certain. Okay. This is what's coming. Now, how good is that for the economy? How good is that? What do you think is going to happen for the next two years if we have Democrats in the House, God forbid, Democrats in the House and the Senate? Goldline has put together a, uh, a special uh, uh, pamphlet for you. It's just information that you can just get on, online from them. 
and they have outlined everything that they say. They say, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Or it's at least very reasonable that it might happen. And what does that mean for the economy? You really need to read their uh, their work on what does a democratic victory mean to you? And you can get it for free just by calling. You can get your copy now at 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. If you don't think that we are at, as David's book calls it, a precarious moment, you're mistaken. 866-GOLDLINE. Read their important risk information. Make sure gold or silver is right for you. 866-GOLDLINE. Call them and get this pamphlet now. I want you to know, and I want you to, I want you to hear this clearly and know that I, I, there are many things that I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things I do not believe. Things are not as bad as you think they are. Uh, they are bad. This is a bad, this is a pivot point for our country. And if we fall down on our job, it will change and it will go away. And I think it will become very bad. However, it's not the battle that you think it is. You've been convinced by media and social media that everybody is thinking this way. They're not. David has a, David Barton is with us. He has a book out called This Precarious Moment. Uh, he's written it with uh, James Garlow, who's a, just a great, great guy and good thinker. Um, and they have the stats in the book and they have different things. We've con- we we're concentrating just for a second on millennials because... I know David has seen it and I've seen it because we're doing it with Mercury One. And when you present the facts to millennials, if you're not trying to win, they say, wait a minute, what? David, talk about a few of the millennials that we have had in for our two week you know, training course. And they have actually come. A little hostile. Some That's right. Yeah. We have a number that have come as skeptics and, and yeah. they're here to disprove us and show right. that we're all wrong. And, and it's all right. You know, we don't we don't run from that situation. We just yeah, embrace long, them and say, let's have a conversation. As long and, as you'll engage in the conversation. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so we start asking them questions and, you know, they have their opinions, but we just ask them questions and it's kind of like they sit back and ah. Uh, I don't know. And so once you ask the questions that lead them to the information, it's amazing to see that they then take those questions and go back to those that taught them and change them. We literally, we have a a, a girl that came in that, you know, learned all sorts of stuff. She went back to her professor, started asking her professor questions. He got all befuddled because he didn't know the answers. He now has asked her to meet with him once a week and teach her teach him what she learned in, in all these classes it's amazing it's, it's amazing and and he said she wrote a report and he said you are either a liar and you're going to get an f or this is the best paper see me in my office that's right and she he said okay i want to talk to you about your sources and she had him nailed down and that's he had it. never here's a professor that didn't know this stuff an economics professor and he found out that founding father John Witherspoon had the greatest impact of any person in American history on American economics. And he didn't know that. And she showed him that and then showed him the documentation. And he said, OK, I, I want more because I, I clearly did not. But that's the thing of asking questions with the relationships. And we take these these guys that come in hostile or otherwise, 
And just because of relationships, but and as we tell them, we have a lot of fun with them. I mean, quite frankly, we yeah. tell them that sarcasm is our love language. If mm-hmm. we don't make fun of you, it's because we don't like you. Right. So, so you know, we 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 kid and joke and have a great great time. But they come out transformed, and they are some of the most mature individuals. And these these guys are all. It's in their mind to become leaders. And I tell you, they are so, so good. It is just amazing. We were in a meeting in February. We, I don't think I've announced this formally. Uh, may I, David? Go for it. Um, we are going to do Black History Month, a museum here at our studios in February. If you don't think that's a little controversial, um, but we have worked on this and we're working on it with the Lincoln Museum and uh, it's going to be a little mind-blowing and really, really eye-opening to a lot of people on both sides. Uh, and it's black history, but, you know, not all the black history that everybody knows. Let's tell the black history that really nobody knows. Uh, and that's going to be here at our studios in the month of February. And yesterday we decided that because they're, they're going to, we're going to have docents, we're going to have people that are going to tell these individual stories about these people in here on stage 19 as you come through. And they're all going to be, I said yesterday, let's get some of the kids that we've met that are even 15 years old that just will learn it and really know it. It's really quite exciting to see millennials what happens when they're unleashed and told the truth. David's uh, new book, David Barton and James Garlow's uh, new book, This Precarious Moment, The uh, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Your Country. Um, uh, Grab a copy of it. It is really, really good. Um, And I agree with the steps and all the way through it. You are you are making the case using facts. This is this is a book that you can take and read and learn all kinds of facts about the country that you didn't know. For instance, let's talk about immigration, David. Immigration, a fact we didn't know is until 1875, 1876, the federal government had no part in immigration. Immigration belonged solely to the states. When you came to America, you didn't move into the United States. You moved into Texas or Maryland or Virginia or wherever, and it was the states that controlled immigration. The U.S. Supreme Court in 1875, 1876, two decisions said, hey, we think we'll take this over now. And so the first time we have federal immigration is in 1892 when Ellis Island opens. That's the first federal immigration facility. Everything before that was the states. We have no clue. And then when you look now, the founding fathers were very good because Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution says they can establish a uniform rule of naturalization. So they did. They passed three laws, 1790, 1795, and 1798, said, okay, we can set the rule of naturalization. Here's what you got to do to come to the United States. And let's go through f- first um, that, th- what, what they set forward. The immigrant must have good moral character. Are we doing anything to check on good moral character? Oh, no. Background check. And, and by the way, Ben Franklin said that when you came, you needed to have a certificate from a religious society attesting to your good moral character from the country from which you left. The immigrant must not only support the Constitution and our governmental laws, but renounce allegiance to any other nation or loyalty to any other system. Sharia? Sharia. And by the way, we had Muslims in America since 1619. But to be part of the country, you had to agree to the Constitution, not come here to overturn it. Uh, 
The immigrant must believe in the equality of all Americans to renounce and renounce any title of nobility. So would I have to, if I was coming in, would I have to declare that I was not a member of the press? <laughs> I'd have to give up that title of nobility or, or a professor or a professorship. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Okay. Uh, there must be residency requirement of, uh, of five years in the United States before citizenship. Now let, let me hit that one. Cause I was really shocked about that in the constitutional convention. Seven of the 39 guys who signed the Constitution were immigrants. They were themselves immigrants. And so Alexander Hamilton was one. He came from West Indies. Pierce Butler was another. And, and these guys said, and how, I mean, the debates are great. They said, look, when we got here, if we had voted, we would have voted the way that we were thinking from the West Indies and Ireland and elsewhere. And Pierce Butler said, you should not be allowed to vote until 14 years here because you need to learn to think like an American. Oh, my gosh. Would the, Texas needs to do that with Californians. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. Oh, Texans, man. Texans. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm telling you, we're going to lose Texas because of the Californians. They are just going to vote the way they voted. Yeah. And we are not the same place. That's what, we're not the same place. We're not. And, and they think like Californians. Right. And it takes a while. So Alexander Hamilton said five years, and that's what they went with was five really years. Good. But you could not vote in America till you've been here five years. Otherwise, you would turn this place into wherever you just left. No anchor babies. Citizen goes. Citizenship goes from parents to child, not to child, not child to parent. Wow. Security risk can be deported and permanently banned from the United States. The government must protect the borders during times of war. States will have a definite role in immigration. So that is what they that's what they that's the original immigration law. OK, now, I found it fascinating in the book that we have argued as if these things were not settled long ago. Mm-hmm. We have argued uh, common language. How dare you insist as if this was just some idea that a bunch of racists had. Yeah, Ben Franklin is a great example because Ben Franklin talked about how so many Germans were moving into Pennsylvania, and they were. And he said the problem is they're speaking their own language. They're starting to create signs in German. They're starting to create documents in German. You can't have a nation if you don't speak the same language. So Franklin was one of the first ones out. Then Thomas Jefferson, the same thing. He said we have immigrants coming in, which is great. And by the way, they were so pro-immigration that in the Declaration of Independence, one of the 27 grievances was we're separating from Great Britain because he's trying to stop immigration. We want immigration. It's just we wanted assimilation with immigration. They were huge pro-immigration. Yeah, assimilation. I mean, let's, let's, here's Thomas Jefferson. They will bring with them the principles of the government. They leave imbibed with their own early, imbibed in their early youth. These old principles with their language, they will transmit to their children. In proportion to their numbers, they will share with us in legislation. They will infuse it into their old spirit, warp and bias its directions and render it uh, as heterogeneous, incoherent, and distracted mass. He says the solution, it is thought better to discourage their settling together in large masses, and they should distribute themselves sparsely among the native for uh, quicker assimilation. This goes right with with this. It seems to me necessary, this is Franklin, it seems to me necessary to distribute the um, Germans, the, the Germans uh, uh, more equally, mix them in with English, establish English schools that are now where they are now too thickly settled. I am against the I am not against the admission of Germans in general, for they have virtues, their industry, frugality, blah, blah, blah. They're great farmers. He's just saying 
We have to get them to be Americans. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite of what we're doing now. No Dearborn, Michigans. I mean, we, we want people assimilating. We don't want them creating a parallel culture where it's almost a no-go zone now for, for police. Somalians in, in uh, Minnesota. Exactly. And we've got groups in West Texas creating their own separate communities. And that's not it. It's assimilation. You want to become an American. You don't come to America to take over and move it to whatever your country was. You come here to be an American. Now, that's where the professors, the elite groups, really are into, well, America is really bad. You know, we need, we need to be like Europe or whatever. One way to lose it is, is to not pay attention to what they did. And one of the things we try to do in the book is we don't, we're not into government solutions. We try to give things that every single individual can do because America gets healthy from the bottom up, not the top down. You say that racial healing is fairly easy all we have to do is do it what 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 is the plan for racial healing you know there's several things one is you got to change some of your knowledge base this is what we find with millennials they are taught about race from the way their professors see it and we show them seven things that everyone needs to know about race and and generally they don't they're historical but you remember off the top of your head what those are oh yeah there's several things uh the the first permanent permanent slavery was introduced in america by a black man anthony johnson who sued to own other black men uh, we show the fact that uh, 43% of free blacks in South Carolina own black slaves. That wow. One out of, yeah, nearly half. Uh, one out of eight uh, Native Americans owned black slaves in, in major tribes. And that didn't uh, stop that did with the emancipation, no. emancipation Proclamation. When did slavery well, stop? Well, it didn't even stop with the 13th Amendment when we abolished slavery. Because we only abolished slavery in the United States. But Indian nations are their own nations. They're right. not bound by American So when law. did they stop? It was years later. It was probably a decade later before slavery stopped in Indian nations. So what we do is show slavery is a human problem. It is not a black-white problem, despite what your professors say. It is a problem in the way you view humankind. So we go through and and show, uh, for example, Tim Scott and James Lankford in the U.S. Senate have come up with with this thing where you invite other people from other races to come eat a meal with you on Sunday. Come into your house and, you know, learn and, and touch. You don't solve racism institutionally. You solve it one person at a time, changing a heart at a time, seeing people different, and, and not having this black-white polarization that we often try to make today. How worried are you, David, about the level of anger now? Level of anger is a real problem, but what it's what it's derived from is is the bigger problem and that stereotypes and 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 all these things where we really don't know each other and once you get to know each other and once you do this interrelational stuff like with millennials and, and like with folks of other races and other groups once you start doing individual stuff that's where it breaks down and, and that's where you're able to demonstrate that you know what you thought about me or what you thought about this group is not accurate we're individuals we're made in god's image we have equality and we can get along great if we'll sit down and talk. So it's what you're doing to your book, Glenn. I mean, addicted to outrage. That's exactly it. You sit down and have conversations on bigger things. So real quick, just one last. Give me the six things that you say. are. These are the six urgent steps. The, there are actually six urgent areas. What we've got to do in immigration, what we have to do in our relationship with Israel, what we have to do with millennials, what we have to do with uh, – people of faith doing a terrible job right now as mm-hmm. people of faith uh, so we go through those six areas and let me let me just touch on israel our relationship with israel is pretty good you're it concerned is right now you're concerned in the book about 
Christians are starting to become anti-Semitic. They are becoming anti-Semitic. We, what has th- changed? This what? last, well, we don't know the scriptures well anymore. And that we have the highest level of biblical literacy of any generation in American history. And so we are, uh, we're seeing 1,600 anti-Israel events a year on college campuses. Uh, people don't know much about the Palestinians, but they're told they're oppressed <sighs> people and Israel's doing it. So we have a real individual turn against Israel, and a lot of denominations are coming out against Israel, denominations that used to be very pro-Israel now. Really? Very, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, These are the more liberal churches, though? They're, they're, they're what are called mainstream denominations. Okay. That, so, the, the, you know, it's kind of like the United Methodist Church, yeah, PCUSA, okay. those yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 okay. So they had never been anti-Israel before, but now they are. They're, they're coming out and they're wanting to do the BDS kind of stuff, the boycott, divestiture, mm. and sanctions. So there is a growing anti-Semitic movement among people of faith in America, which is certainly a problem. Now, this administration's done a great job on restoring cow, things. Yeah. It's just it's, it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. But that doesn't solve the individual problems we have at college campuses and at churches and people of faith. David Barton and James Garlow. The name of the book is This Precarious Moment, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country. We are at the edge of the cliff, and as, uh, as the, the righteous among the nations uh, the woman that I met uh, in Poland uh, told me, were you there, David? You weren't there, were you? I don't think on that trip I was with uh, you. And uh, she said, the righteous didn't suddenly become righteous. They just refused to go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. We are at that cliff. Learn to stand. Teach your family to stand. This precarious moment available everywhere books are sold. David, thanks so much. All right. From hurricanes to earthquakes, cyber warfare, everything. Americans should have a plan for any kind of emergency. It was not racism that stopped the United States from doing more in um, Puerto Rico. It wasn't. FEMA was out of money. Never in the history of America have we had six major disasters happen in a short period of months. There were six. There's no plan for four or five natural disasters at once. That's what happened. FEMA was out of money, as they said at the end of the, that year. They said we, everybody needs to prepare for themselves because we are not prepared for things like this. Great place to start is storing your own food. Last up to 25 years. You can build it up over time. My Patriot Supply is the, are the people that have helped me with my food storage, and I remember being overwhelmed by it. I don't even know how to start. It's easy. They'll help you. Everyone in your household should have a four-week emergency food kit. There's a special on them right now. You'll save $100 when you go to my special website, preparewithglenn.com. The four-week food kits are shipped fresh, discreetly to your door. You do it now. You order and save $100 per kit on the bestseller this week. It's 800-271-63 or online, preparewithglenn.com. Preparewithglenn.com. So you see, five thirty eight came out with their uh, list of uh, probable twenty twenty Democratic candidates. Yeah, they, yeah. They Elizabeth do. Warren, I think, is number one, and the number one pick. They do a draft, yeah, every month or so. Yeah. We're going to do one on tour. 
we're gonna do on a tour ours is gonna be a little different yeah i feel like yeah i've got a couple of things we, we got brackets and we'll explain that while we're on tour that you are really going to appreciate the uh, brackets uh that we do uh and also we are going to uh i'm going to select you know the democrats and the democratic candidates i'll outline their platform Mm -hmm. and uh, i may even help them with a speech or two or at least a slogan i think that's a good idea this is your ultimate 2020 uh preparation event you will know everything you need to know Mm -hmm. about (laughs) the democrats that are Mm -hmm. about to jump into the race Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think uh you know it's going to motivate some people maybe you know i I think so will will it win over some people in the audience i don't know i will tell you that i've already put uh uh, just a few lines down for a a very non-dramatic speech for Cory for cory booker that uh, oh wow yeah and i give it to him for free Oh, so he can just use this he as maybe his announcement? It. My gift to him. Oh, wow. My gift to him. That's so, really nice. Uh, that's uh, that's all part of our tour, the uh, Addicted to Outrage tour. You don't want to miss. Uh, bring a friend. You're going to learn a lot and and, uh, and laugh a lot, hopefully. Coming to San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Richmond, Hershey, Pen- uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland, Kansas City, Evansville, Tulsa, Tampa, and Orlando. Uh, you can find out all the details at glenbeck.com slash tour. And there might be some surprise guests. I mean, just saying, there might be. There might not be. <laughs> there, there might be. Oh, we should use this. We, should, we can do better than that. There might be a million dollars under your seat. Well, there, okay, may, no, there might not no, be. No, 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 no. There might not be. We don't know. <laughs> it's all up in the I'm air. I'm just saying, uh, in Texas, there might be. There, I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, Addicted to Outrage, the uh, tour. You can find out all about it and grab your tickets. You can find it at glenbeck.com slash tour. So we have Malcolm Gladwell next. Malcolm is—he's an amazing guy. Yeah. Uh, is he the one that did Tipping? But Tipping Point? No, he did. What was his first big book? I can't remember. He's had many. I know. But, I know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Malcolm Gladwell—he—he he does a podcast, Revisionist History, uh, and this season he did one on memory. And as we are all talking about the memories that you know everybody had in high school. I'm not, you know, I don't want to put Malcolm in this situation where I'm asking him to say, who do you believe? Maybe he'll say it. I don't know, but I'm not going to ask him. Uh, I just want to go over the evidence of how bad (laughs) memory is for everyone uh, because he did extensive work on it. And it is shocking how I don't even know if my parents were my parents at this point. (laughs) It's really amazing. How our memories can change and how most of our memories do change over time. Malcolm Gladwell on the program next. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. Glenn Beck. It's Thursday, October 4th. This is the Glenbeck program. I'm thrilled to have Malcolm Gladwell on with us. I'm a big fan of his. His, his writing also revisionist history is fantastic. I, I think I started listening to the last season on a Friday. I consumed every was like, you know, hey, the kids are throwing up. They're sick. They're on fire. And I'm like, shut up. I'm listening to Malcolm. <laughs> it's unbelievable. His latest uh, ep- his latest uh, season on revisionist history. You don't really know until kind of, you know, towards the end of it that oh wow uh this is all about memory and i've learned that everything i thought about memory is probably wrong 
I'd like to tell you what it was, but I don't trust my memory anymore. So Malcolm Gladwell is here. Hello, Malcolm. How are you? Hey, Glenn. I'm doing very well. I uh, thank you for your podcast. They're just so great. Um, oh, thank uh, you. That's very kind of you. I, I wanted to, I've been thinking about you a lot lately because of the Kavanaugh hearings and, and everything else. And I don't want to get into the Kavanaugh hearings. What uh-huh. I do want to talk about is our memory and how it can be changed, manipulated, how it's natural for these things to happen. I mean, you explained the uh, Brian uh, Williams story in in such a different way because you didn't condemn him and you didn't exonerate him. You just said, let's look at the facts on memory. Yeah. Can you take yeah. us through it? Yeah. The so memory is something that in the last generation, uh, psychologists have spent an enormous and neurologists have spent an enormous time um, amount of work and effort trying to understand how it works and the more we learn about memory, the more we realize how fallible it is. And we more and when we systematically go back and we test our memories, we find they don't do very well. Um, so there's a famous set of studies that are called flashbulb studies, where a famous event happens, 9-11, uh, the Challenger explosion. And you go to a large group of people, the incident happens, and you say, tell me everything you were doing, thinking, on the moment when you heard that news, where were you? Who did you talk to first? How did you feel? You know, what happened that day? And then they go back to the same group of people a year later, five years later, 10 years later, and they ask them the same set of questions and they compare their answers. And lo and behold, what you discover is that not everyone, but many of the people substantially alter their memories of the event without realizing it. In other words, they are the first time they'll say, when I heard, when I saw the towers fall, I was standing in the streets of Manhattan with my best friend, Jim, tears streaming down my face. And then 10 years later, they'll say, when I first heard the towers fall, I was watching it on television in my dorm room. And I ran out, you know, and then I ran and called my friend, Jim, who was in Boston. And they, they're as convinced 10 years later, that's what their memory was, as they, as they were the first time they... They, they, they related their memories on the day of, the, of, of 9-11. And so that kind of stuff, my point in doing the Brian Williams thing was when you understand how fallible memory is, you are a lot more forgiving of what he did. He did something which it turns out a lot of us do all the time, which is we make what's called a time slice error. We, we confuse the timeline in our minds and we... We think we're one place when something happened and we're in another place. Or some, we've heard a story been told so many times that we slowly incorporate ourselves into the story without realizing that we're doing it. And my, my point was that these are not sins of character. These are, these are just facts of human memory. And we so, so often want to make someone's faulty memory into a test of their, uh, of their character. And I think that's a mistake. It's a, you know, there are people who deliberately lie, absolutely. But a lot of what we think might be deliberate lying is just a manifestation of the, um, the frailty of human memory. So I really don't want to get into politics on this, but I, I do want to ask you this question to see if the way I'm when I when I finished with the hearings last week, I yeah. felt, OK, I think she believes that. And it may have happened that way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
and I yeah. felt Brett Kavanaugh. I believe he believes that. They both could be telling the absolute truth. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They both. I don't think either of them are deliberately lying. I think, I mean, the, the, uh, the thing about memory is that we may honestly believe that this is what happened, even though it isn't. You know, my best friend, Bruce, I honestly believe I met him on the first day of first grade. I can picture it in my mind. He honestly believes that we met in the principal's office at the end of first grade, and we didn't, we didn't even meet throughout entire, that entire year. Right? This is one of the most important events of my life, my best friend. Mm. And we are off by eight months. Right? And he thinks we met because we, we had got into a fight. And I think he came up to me and introduced himself. And we were best friends, you know, from the beginning. Like, I, you know, I am, I, I'm not lying about it. It's what I remember. But one of us completely made up that memory from whole cloth. In fact, when you were talking about the 9-11 study, there mm-hmm. were people who came back 10 years later. They wrote out, uh, you know, within a few days, if I'm not mistaken. Was it a few days or was it a year? Uh, after 9-11 the original writing well the original time they they went to the next day okay so the next day they asked them to write out exactly where they were what happened 10 years later some of them said i don't know why i even wrote that this is a lie this is not what happened i I don't know why i was lying then and they were convinced somehow or another they made something up that was different than what they knew to be true now yeah people One of the most important things that memory researchers will tell you is you cannot confuse confidence with accuracy. In other words, the fact that I am absolutely certain that that what happened happened is not a reliable guide to its accuracy. Um, So you can't like. So I am convinced I met my friend Bruce on the first day. That should that does not mean it's more likely to be true than if I said. You know, if I if I expressed it with more doubt, um, so I think what it a lot of what this the lesson of all of this is is that we just need to approach our memories uh, and not just our memories, our entire lives with a lot more humility. Um, you can't. We're not. Our our brains are not Superman. <laughs> they, they don't. They're not. We don't have a video recorder up there taking down everything perfectly. You know, and we need to. When I say I remember something one way, I need to be, I need to check it. I need to talk to others. I need to be open to the possibility I might be wrong. I need to, that's why we have legal systems and investigators and right to, to compensate for the fact that our memories are not what we would like them to be. Everyone outside, let's take it outside of this political nightmare. Yeah. This Me Too movement, I think, has been very good. On whole, it's been very good. I am concerned about the um, the women need to be believed. I don't care if it's a man yeah. or a woman. No, they need to be heard and taken seriously. But we yeah. can't just believe what someone says for a myriad of reasons. Uh, and I, I fear it's dangerous, this road that we're going down. Because yeah. we, we need more than just your word and your memory. Because that, you, you might believe that's true, but it, it might not be. Yeah. Well, so it's funny. Um, 
This is exactly the point that Ronan Farrell, you know, the the, the journalist yeah. who has been responsible, more responsible than anyone else for breaking these Me Too stories. I went to see him give a a, a public interview, and he was he was interviewing um, the actress who was the source. I've forgotten her name, of course, because my memory is very faulty. <laughs> the actress who was the source of many of the Me Too allegations. And they were talking about this very point. And he very explicitly said, my job as a journalist is not to believe the women. It is to listen to them and then try and co- corroborate through careful reporting those aspects of their story that are, are corroborate uh, their stories through careful reporting. And if I can't corroborate them, then I can't write the story, right? My job as a reporter is to compensate for the frailty of human memory. And that is, that is a beautiful um, uh, way of expressing what the responsibility of media investigators is in these cases is, okay, someone has gone, clearly believes they've gone through something very traumatic. Let's systematically try and figure out, uh, uh, did it happen that way? And if it didn't happen that way, let us not then judge the person and say they're a liar. Right? That's the crucial part. And it's like, it is, we, we can't lose our humanity over this. We have to say, we have to say, if we do an investigation and it's not the way that person says, we have to very respectfully say, um, you have, you, like all of us, have a memory that is imperfect. That would be wonderful if we lived in that world. <laughs> But uh, Malcolm, oh, I am I'm so concerned that and you've said it now twice and yeah. it is it is what made me successful in the first place. And I am so glad that I have discovered how dangerous it is. Certitude. Um, mm-hmm. We are a population that is certain about everything. And it's good to have a core set of beliefs and principles, but you must be open to hear new information and an other information that doesn't give you uh, you, uh, 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 what is it? Cognitive dissidence is good. It's good. That's a sign that something in you isn't, isn't quite right. Don't shout your way through it. Stop back, uh, step back and go, okay, which one of these two don't fit with the principle? I believe, do I need to change the principle or do I need to, throw out that that information that i'm that i'm now acting yeah. on right yeah but that's but scary he, people don't want to do that yeah i i thought you know it's funny i had a conversation last night with a friend of mine who was a mormon and who was talking about the tradition in the um, among mormons of keeping journals mm-hmm. which i had not known about mm-hmm. um and she had years and years and years of journals and she was talking about what that means for when you have a contemporaneous account of of your life, your feelings, your actions, your interpretations of what you've done, you can go back and it, it obviously serves a function far greater than simply checking your memory. Yeah. But it's a way of keeping yourself honest. And what I loved about that was that, that notion of if we, we live in such a kind of difficult and flawed world, then we have to take responsibility for our own stories. And that to me what is what the... Um, what what that tradition of keeping a journal is about. Yeah. It says as a human being, you have a responsibility to yourself and to others to, to understand the road that you have taken, right? And write it down. 
so that when you, 20 years later, you can look back and you say, I, I, I had forgotten. I did this then. You know, maybe I regret it now or maybe I've learned from it. But that, that to me, I just thought that was lovely. I really did. I thought that was a, as an example of uh, a kind of uh, uh, a practice. Um, and you, well, you know, obviously know much more about this than I do, but the, the idea that that is part of what it means to be a righteous actor in the world is to take your history seriously. Have you heard from Brian Williams since your podcast? No, no I, I have. I sure I will. One day I will run into, run into him. And I mean, he, he's, can, he can't be. He can't publicly say, that's true, that's great, right? You know, poor man. I, I think he was like, part of him, I'm sure, was like, I can't believe he's bringing this up again. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm, thank you so much for being on the program. I uh, really appreciate it. Pleasure as always. You bet. Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Gladwell. And uh, also, if you have not heard this podcast, it is so relevant for what we're going through right now. Uh, it and especially listen to. I uh, wish I would have asked him about the German, uh, the spies. Oh my gosh, that's a great story. Um, but listen to the one. It's a two part about the German spies. Listen, just even start with the the Brian Williams, and you will see. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, do not believe people on their memory alone. Yes. Take them seriously. Season three, episode three and four are the two that you're talking about. Okay. It really is. And the Brian Williams thing was incredible because it, I 100% just thought he was just trying to lie to make himself yeah. look better. And when you look at like the way he did it and all the details around it, it, it will at least make you uneasy yeah. about that conclusion. Yeah, he will. He, You know what? I always say, do something this week that makes you uncomfortable. Listen to this because it will, if, especially if you think that Brian Williams, absolutely, he's just a pig. Well, listen to this, because it will challenge you, and you, if you're honest with yourself, will go, well, wait a minute, I'm not quite sure. And if you're really honest, you'll go, gee, I wonder how much of that has happened with me. Liberty Safe, number one safe manufacturer in the nation. They are the people that are um, that are uh, sponsoring the program, and we appreciate their sponsorship. Uh, did you see the... Um, did you see the tweet I sent out the other day? I felt so, I, I you know, because I don't, I don't, you know, allow sponsors to tweet stuff for, you know, I don't tweet stuff for sponsors. Mm-hmm. And this one, I, I kind of felt weird because I was like, well, it's a sponsor, but I just did it because I loved it. They have a new video on oh, LibertySafe.com. Yeah. It's phenomenal, Stu. You have to watch it. Amazing. They take, I think it's a thousand pound block of concrete and they bring it up on a <laughs> crane and they <laughs> drop is- it. They drop it on their safe and the competitor's safe, and it's unbelievable. And we know these guys from Liberty Safe. This is only ten percent. They're doing it for business. They just want oh, to. Oh, they're have just fun. they're fifteen-year-old like guys <laughs> totally. that are like, get a tank and let's try to blow one up. <laughs> they're the best videos. Go to LibertySafe.com and see this video. It's really really fun, uh, and uh, and you'll see why Liberty Safes are the best built safe in you know in America, bar none. Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com. They have extreme safes on sale for the first half of October. The second half of the month, they're running their Frankenstein event. You'll save hundreds on Liberty's custom uh, custom favorite, the Franklin and the Extreme Series. They're both really good. Check them out right now. LibertySafe.com. That's LibertySafe.com. You know, we're just talking about memory, but let's talk about another thing that is uh, misunderstood or underutilized. 
you know, or gone, lost, forgotten in America. And that's bravery. I have no idea what Malcolm Gladwell's political bent is. I don't really care. Um, I like him. I think he's smart. What he votes for, I don't care. Um, he could be conservative. He could be liberal. Don't know. Again, don't care. But let's let's just say maybe he's liberal. Maybe. 50-50 shot. He just came on this program, and he talked to me about a portion of the Kavanaugh hearings without expressing either condemnation or support. He spoke about memory and how it applies to both Kavanaugh and Ford. Do you know how dangerous that is for him? You were on the Glenn Beck program. Strike one. You talked to him about Kavanaugh. Strike two. You didn't say an opinion on Kavanaugh. Strike three. You're out. Yeah. I mean, and he, whether regardless of his personal politics, a lot of his listeners would be from the left. Um, and so, you know, but that's like. But he doesn't care. Not, well, he doesn't care. It's something that we need. Right? It is. It's something that we need of people just being willing to be honest and, and just talk about just talk about what we, we can talk about things without making everything mm-hmm. about politics. Even though this story, the reason why I had him on is because it's very relatable today. But that's he did the podcast before Kavanaugh. Yeah, it had nothing to do with it. Had nothing story. to do with it. Mm-hmm. So can we talk now in light of this? Can we just talk about what you found on memory? Right. Because it's important. And it's the reason why, honestly, I would listen to him on Brian Williams. Yes. Because he's credible. If yeah. Rachel Maddow came out and said, no, if Brian Stelter fine, I, did that, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, it just, never. But like Malcolm's so credible because he's not doing, he's actually looking for an answer. Right. Yes. yes. And that's what I think is, is so absent in so many places yeah. right now. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it, you don't always, your side's not always right. Um, but it's okay to keep your principles and, and maintain your arguments and, and believe things are morally correct the way you do. But there's no reason why you can't uh, entertain and be challenged by someone who has a different opinion. I, I feel like that's what, you know, one of the things that's been interesting about the Kavanaugh thing is because the, those on the left here and, you know, the prominent ones on the left have been so, I mean, I want to use the technical term bonkers on the story. So over the top, so ridiculous in so many ways. Um, it has taken, it has increased, you know, enthusiasm for Republicans, which would be something you'd expect. But it's also taken people who are already planning to vote and changing their minds towards Kavanaugh. And that is something just because it, I don't even know if it's because of details of these stories. It's because one side looks unhinged and the mm-hmm. other one doesn't. It's what you talked about in hour one today. It is the point of addicted to outrage. And this Kavanaugh uh, hearing and the way the Republicans and Donald Trump have played it is perfect. Is perfect. It is the plan in addicted to outrage. Glenn it works. Back. Mercury. Let's go to Gabe in Florida. Hello, Gabe. Gabe, are you there? Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Thanks for holding. Hey, no, no, no problem. Hey, I, I, I got a question for you. I wanted to see what your thoughts are. It seems like the Democrats now with the, these press conferences coming up this morning are kind of moving the goalposts, going after limited time and, and pr- the six previous uh, investigations that actually something might have been in there. <laughs> is it, do you, I know. I know. Do you think this is going to have any traction or do you nope. think like Murkowski and Collins and no, it's not gonna have Manchin? It's not going to have like, any. 
It's not going to have any yep. traction. It's not going to have any traction. The polls are all moving towards Kavanaugh. Um, the behavior of the Democrats has has actually gone against them because the Republicans played this right. Because they remained calm, cool, collected, they treated the witness with respect. When it was an FBI deal, everybody thought it wasn't, but one of the guys stood up and said, I think we should have seven days. Okay, we'll have seven days. Well, I want the FBI not to be told what. Okay, they can go any way they want. Well, they like to expand it. Okay, they can expand it. Well, there you go. What, what are you going to do? They, they, the, the Republicans have played this exactly the right way, calmly and coolly and uh, openly. And now all they have to do is just say enough is enough. And the American people are going to put uh, put that as a, a, a mark for the Republicans. I really believe that. And I think, I think some of these. Hey, hey, Glenn, do you think some of these Democrats that are in, you know, like Manchin, who are in tough battleground states, do you think they're going to sure come would. over just to save their, you know, save themselves? Come over to the Kavanaugh side? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Th- I think they will. I mean, I don't know what's in the FBI report, but assuming that there's nothing new in the FBI report and, you know, this this whole argument of, well, they didn't talk to her. Well, no, because they they interviewed her. For three hours, what did she have anything else to say? What 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 are you talking about? Uh, so I, I think if I were Mansion, I think Stu, you'd be better at this. You think those guys are going to cross? Uh, I think they probably will um, because of their own personal interest, right? And I, mean, I and I think the party will actually let them. Uh, yeah, if I think it so looks too. like it's going to pass. They're going to let them because they care more about votes than they do about principles. And, and, so. and I, you know, I'd say this. Uh, if you look at the prediction markets, the highest percentage of likelihood is 53 votes, not not 51 or 50, which would be the Republicans, but 53 votes. And I think, you know, Manchin and Heitkamp are the two that you yep. probably see most likely. Um, and, that, and that's a big thing about if you're in West Virginia. I would love to understand that because here's a guy, here's a state that Trump won by over 30 points, right? I mean, think about the squishy senators that you throw out there from Republicans. Orrin Hatch, Mitch McConnell, Lamar Alexander, Lindsey Graham, Bob Corker, Jeff Flake, John McCain when he was uh, around, mm-hmm. uh, Murkowski, uh, Susan Collins. All of those people vote f- with, uh, with Trump and the White House far more often not even close. The closest one is Susan Collins, and that's 18 percentage points. She votes with Trump more than Manchin. You want that guy in representing you if you're in West Virginia? And if he comes out today and, and decides to go the, the other way on Kavanaugh, I mean, I, he seems to be leading in the polls. How is that possible, West Virginia? If this guy comes out and goes against Kavanaugh with this uh, uh, ridiculous of, an, uh, of a nonsensical situation surrounding it, how can you let this guy go back to the Senate? Uh, thanks, Gabe. I'm gonna. I just made a book out to you, and I'm gonna send it to you. Addicted to outrage. We'll uh, pop it in the mail today. Real quickly, let me go to Eddie in South Carolina. And then Pat, your um, Pat's here from the Pat Gray Radio Roundup, otherwise known as Pat Gray Unleashed, uh, which <laughs> you can day. which Every you time. can find on uh, <laughs> which you could find on podcast, iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever you get them, uh, and on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, Eddie, go ahead. How you doing, Glenn? Good. How are you? All right. All right. Let me ask you. Well, let me set this up, and then All right. you tell me what you think. All right. I watched 
the last, when they were going to vote it, vote him out to go to the floor. And when, I know you've been talking about Booker. Mm-hmm. I can't, I just can't. Ugh. Yeah, I know. He's, well, he's Spartacus. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But he made the statement right before he got his little ball and his little nameplate and left the room. He said, I was in Senator Feinstein's office when she got Dr. Ford's letter. Yes, a pretty thorough statement there. All right. Okay. So did he know about the letter, too? Yeah, I I mean, Eddie, it is really clear. I thank you for your phone call. Um, And it's kind of like talking to uh, Lindsey Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it's obvious that this leak came from somebody. I personally think the, uh, you know, the the authorities should should look into the leak. I think it's really rotten what uh, what happened to Ford. Pat, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. it really is. It is. It, yeah. it really is. No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't the, just say that. No, and you can't think of any other place, could you? No. That I'd rather be? Yeah. No. So your experience with Kavanaugh, because mm-hmm. we went into this last night on the news mm-hmm. and why it matters. If you mm-hmm. if you missed last night's podcast, the news and why it matters, you should listen to it because uh, there was quite an expose. Really? <laughs> that yeah. was two nights ago, I believe. Startling revelations. Yeah. It was yeah, the night before start, last. Yeah. yeah. Night before last. It was starting startling. Res- and you notice the press never picked up on it. No, you know, I know. I went to Yale. They don't. They don't care. Yeah. Uh, when this happens no. to, particularly men, right. I think, and then men on the right, right. They don't care. They, they don't, so, care. They don't uh, care. I'm not going to go into it here, but mm-hmm. you were there. I you was, were there. I was. You there. know it. I was there. So well, we lived very near uh, Yale for three years. Well, three you and did, a half I years. went to Yale. You, so. you went to Yale. Yeah. So um, so and so did Kavanaugh, and right. I distinctly remember. Yeah. Oh, I don't even want to bring it up. Yeah. Don't even. I wouldn't. It's why I have a uh, a fan in my uh, bathrooms. You know, when you turn on the light in my bathrooms, I have a fan there. Yeah, every, everybody because does. of of that memory. But anyway, so what do you? So what <laughs> really? Do you, yes. Okay. So uh, that so was what, just code. Yeah. I so <laughs> so so uh, Pat, what's on your mind today? Uh, well, of course, Kavanaugh is on my mind. He's he's always on my mind. Yes. He's never far from my thoughts. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, I, it's it's fascinating to see how uh, you know just kind of outlined how the Democrats. Wanted an investigation, got one, wanted it expanded, so got they it. did. <laughs> uh, wanted it delayed, so it was. And now, now that it's all been done and we're wrapping it up and they found nothing, now they want even more investigations. Mm-hmm. When would this ever end? Uh, I think in 2020 is when it would end <laughs> if, if, you, uh, yeah. if you let them c- continue this process. But uh, the latest thing from the roommate who knows who knows for a fact that Kavanaugh was lying about his drinking habits and those words in his yearbook in high school. Mm-hmm. Don't bring him up. Uh, no, I, don't, bro, don't bring up. It, the words? No, don't. Boof, don't say no, it. It's, I, and Devil's Triangle, don't say that was, it. Because you know what those are about, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, well, at least his roommate knows that they were um, sexually Mm-hmm. charged words mm-hmm. which would make a huge difference uh, in whether he should be a supreme court justice 40 years later if he was <laughs> yes. using terms that were about sex he's off the supreme court if as he's a teenager about farting, then it's okay yeah as a teenager right as a teenager because mm, right. teenagers don't do that 
No, only no, the most never. reckless, heinous serial killers that yeah. usually start to show signs of serial killing mm-hmm. around 60. Yeah, that's usually what happens. Yeah. Most serial killers are around. No, 60. I think yeah. we talked about this the other day. Do you guys are you guys familiar with the word boofed? Because <laughs> yes, I'm yes, pretty familiar have. with that. And it's yeah. pretty widely understood to be flatulence. It's, it's interesting. Boffed, all three of us. Boffed is a different thing. Yeah, all boffed. three of us had different uh, recollections of what that word meant in school. Yeah. Mine actually was the sexual use. I remember it was that. Boof yeah. or boff? Well, boff, I think both. I think it's both would be the really? sexual Boofed uh, is, connotation. Okay. Right. Which is interesting. But like Glenn had a, a drug reference. Yeah, and I, I thought maybe I'm wrong. But I looked it up and in the Urban, Urban Dictionary. Dictionary, and it is. It's also a drug reference. And then Pat oh, to was, smoke pot? Yeah. was the farting thing, Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, I honestly, when I read that, I was like, ah, he's probably trying to cover for himself. Because in my thought, that is actually what it was. It was like a sexual term. But then everybody, huh. I, I mean, we, all three of us yeah. at the table have different recollections yeah, from different areas, yeah. right? Different schools, weird. Uh, different backgrounds, different, you know, I mean, like that. So it could mean pretty, anything, really. It really could. There's now, not, Devil's not Triangle I've that. never heard of. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Well, let me explain. <laughs> uh, but the, the way the way everybody cares about this stuff when and I think you guys mentioned this early in the show when there was a president who admitted to far worse than this stuff. No, no far worse. And we don't have it on tape. And if we did have it on tape, we certainly oh, couldn't man. play it right now. I think I was a thug <laughs> for uh, hmm. for a big part of my uh, growing up. I, no, that's I, funny. I, I was. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I was a very typical uh, 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 gang rapist, uh, <laughs> mischievous child as a as a young boy. Mischievous. I think um, by the time I was an adolescent and had moved mm-hmm. back from Indonesia and was struggling with these issues of uh, racial identity and a father not being in the house. Wait, what? Struggle um, with racial identity. I think that uh, hmm. you know I reacted by mm-hmm. uh, by engaging in a lot mm-hmm. of uh, uh, mm-hmm. behavior that's not a, untypical of mm-hmm. black males across the country. Mm. Wait, know, what's uh, that? I played a lot of basketball. Did you just stereotype basketball? black males. Uh, I uh, hmm. didn't take school that seriously. What? That's mm-hmm. a, that's what black I, people what? Uh, <laughs> got into fights. Like, what? what? So black, hey, uh, black, black males. Drank and drank. drank. Did, uh, he drank. It's totally and, different and than consumed, whites. Uh, consumed substances that uh, substances that aren't weren't always legal. legal. Yeah, not not legal. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know, I think generally <laughs> pretty amazing. Was, um, was, uh, yeah, acting out, acting, acting out in ways that in ways uh, that, uh, that when I look back uh, on it, yeah. I understand. Uh, you I understand. think that yeah, what got sense. me through those years was, was um, <laughs> sort of a natural aptitude for schooling, uh-huh. which meant that I didn't have to pay attention too much mm-hmm. to be able to keep my grades up. And, I see. Right. Least, okay. Uh, All right. He goes on to say, um, uh, I think, you know, it takes him too long to say <laughs> that. <laughs> but he goes on to say that he would drink a six-pack in the hour before class. Yeah, and then go in to an class hour. Dr- a soul six-pack. Then go to it's class old. drunk. Yeah. I mean, nobody cared about that stuff. No, no one no cared one, about it. And, and by the way, where was that stuff when he was running? Where was that? Right. Where was we it? have to we have to have Judge Kavanaugh's calendars. Uh-huh. But uh, this guy has that. The press never did it. And no one in the press. And they would be right to not do it. Would would hear that 
and say, oh, well, he can't. He's look at he's look at his temperament. I mean, he was right. he, he admitted to fights. He admitted to fights. He admitted to chugging beers within illegal an hour activity. and illegal activity. His temperament. They would have never said that. Yeah. And which is more important? He's there's only one executive. Kavanaugh is going for a, a position where he's one ninth of the court. It's far more important for the one guy yeah. to be able to have that disposition, to be able to have that temperament, to and be they, able to have that judgment. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Because he's not white. And he's mm-hmm. fighting the patriarchy. That is the real reason yeah, why is, it doesn't is matter. Yeah. If you're fighting the patriarchy and the white mm-hmm. uh, history of colonialism, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but read the book. It's postmodernism. If you are doing that, did you see the did you see the the um the the bogus studies that were just published did you guys read that yeah amazing incredible we haven't even talked about we have to talk about it tomorrow um these studies where they where these these three um uh scientists realize this postmodern stuff is crap and it's changing science and it's completely unhinged so they started writing papers to see if they could get them peer-reviewed and published. They wrote papers about how the rape culture is really even fostered in dog parks because dogs will hump each other and the, the one dog will be uh, traumatized and the other dog didn't ask permission and uh, it's, it's just perpetrating a rape culture in America. <laughs> It's published, and it was an award-winning essay. <laughs> and it was totally made up and bogus, okay? Wow. That's how insane this is. So if, and they, they found if they, if they just said that, they submitted it, and it went nowhere. But if they made it about the white hierarchy, they had seven, seven studies that were completely ridiculous and bogus in one year— they got seven studies published. Amazing. Didn't one of them, wasn't one of them like a rewrite wow. of Mein Kampf? Yeah, Mein Kampf, except it took <laughs> out Jews and it replaced it with white males. And they just It was a feminist that. study. It was <laughs> oh. a chapter from Mein Kampf. Wow. That's how unhinged. Wow. That's how unhinged. Uh, all right. Our That's how unleashed. That's how unleashed it is. Yeah. That's how unleashed the situation is. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Pat Graham. Well, that ties into the name of your show, yeah. your yeah. podcast, yeah. which you can hear now. Yeah. Uh, See, if it were the radio roundup, that wouldn't tie into the name. Exactly but, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Pat Gray and his orchestra coming up on the Blaze Radio Network and on podcast. All right. I want to talk to you about American financing. Uh, if there are many benefits to refinancing your mortgage right now, you can lower your interest rate. You can shorten your loan term. You can get cash out of it. You can even uh, consolidate high interest debt. These are all great options that can help save like sometimes a thousand dollars a month would that give you a little extra breathing room don't wait the interest rates are increasing the next step should be a 10-minute call to american financing to their salary-based mortgage consultants uh there are never any upfront fees they have access to every loan in the industry so they're not trying to sell you or jam you into something they're looking at your budget make the call today to americanfinancing.net americanfinancing.net 800-906-2440 800-906-2440 AmericanFinancing.net 
800-906-2440. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Science. Science. I'm all about science. Tomorrow, the Barack Obama Power Hour experiment on stew. Wait, don't miss it. Glenn Beck. Mercury. 